This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. tuning into the podcast. This is Anne-Marie Schuber of Healthcare News. I have invited Phil Kirpin from the American Commitment to come back on to talk about an issue that I need to set up a bit. So the Democrats are trying to prop up Obamacare, and they're doing it with a scheme that will kind of go after drug spending in Medicare. They call it drug price negotiation, and they're selling this as a great thing for consumers, for enrollees. And they're going to take the money that they save from this or get from this and somehow use it to subsidize Obamacare plans. Now, if you recall, Congress enhanced the subsidies during the pandemic to Obamacare plans, and those subsidies are scheduled to end this year. So the new premiums will be announced probably before November 1st. People will get notices that the premiums are going to go way up like everything else in inflation. Um, But this is not a good time because we, of course, have the midterm elections coming up in November. So, Phil, did I set that up correctly? (laughs) Yeah, that's about right. The only thing that's changed uh, since I wrote the article and since your description there is now it's not only going to pay for uh, the expanded Obamacare subsidies. Now it's also going to pay for you know, Green New Deal spending and all the other various, because now uh. they've broadened the scope of the bill again with this deal that Manchin made with Schumer. And so I'd say it's now going to be an even bigger extravaganza of, you know, left-wing grab bag priorities. Uh, but the the main point still stands, which is they are cutting prescription drug spending in Medicare to use as a piggy bank for unrelated spending priorities. And so given that they're going to be spending this on other things should raise alarm bells for us of how much this is going to cost uh, drug spending in Medicare. So why don't you tell us how this drug negotiation scheme works? I mean, this is kind of a re this is, comes back from the Build Back Better plan that was scrapped. So how does it work? Yeah, they've they've changed the name now instead of it called Build Back Better. It's called Inflation Reduction Act which is like Orwellian. (laughs) Yeah, I think this is actually what Manchin's big negotiation was. He's like, I'll vote for all the stuff in your bill, but you got to change the name of the bill to pretend we're fighting inflation. And Biden and Schumer said, yeah, okay. Uh, But yeah, the the way this works, uh, and they keep using the word negotiation, which I think is extremely deceptive in this context. Uh, This is the so-called negotiation. The secretary uh, tells the uh, manufacturer of the drug, and they get to pick 10 to start with, but Democrats have already said they want to expand that to cover all drugs eventually so they can keep going back to the piggy bank and raid more and more money out of Medicare drug spending. But uh, they go to the manufacturer and say, this is what we think the price should be. And then the manufacturer can, you know, quote-unquote, negotiate with them, except that if they don't agree, they get an excise tax put on them of 95% of their total sales of that product and – they can't deduct that tax from their corporate income taxes either. And so cool. it's essentially uh, we tax you into oblivion. We tax you out of business if you don't accept our price. Uh, to me, that's not a negotiation. That's government price setting. Uh, they might as well just have the government set the price. In fact, I, I believe the only reason they don't just have the government set the price and they go through this ruse of a fake negotiation where they have to accept your price or else they 
get taxed into oblivion is so they can use the word negotiation. It's just so they can have that political slogan because really it functions as government price setting. Yeah, I think you had a, 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 a probably a more succinct way of describing it in your article, a classic mob-style offer you cannot refuse. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you okay. can't. I mean, you know, well, right. I mean, when, excise tax, you're done. I mean, yeah, sure. All right. So, um, now, now, what the the, you know, the public is not going to get this. They're they're going to look at this because you know the Democrats are they're pretty savvy about the way they use language and they get out and sell these things, and the public is convinced that they're on their side, uh, that they're going to save a bundle of money, and drug companies are not uh, the top of everybody's favorite list. So what is wrong with trying to control the prices that Medicare pays for drugs? Well, I think the um, I think the way you communicate it, at least the way I'm trying to communicate it, is just that you know you're not going to be you're not going to get the same quantity and quality of prescription drugs if you spend 288 billion dollars less. If Medicare reduces expenditures on prescription drugs by 288 billion dollars, which is what their bill does according to CBO. Um, something has to give. The drug companies are not simply going to provide the same quality and quantity of drugs for you know almost $300 billion less. That's not how the world works. And if you take that much money out of Medicare prescription drug spending, you are going to get, uh, first of all, less new drugs developed uh, because there's going to be this potential that if you get a great blockbuster new drug, it's going to be subject to this process. You're not going to get a return on investment. So that undercuts uh, R&D incentives, and, and even CBO admits this, they peg it at 15 new drugs that won't be developed as a consequence of this. Uh, University of Chicago thinks it's more more on the order of up to 300, uh, so there's a big dispute as to how many, but everyone agrees that some number of new drugs will not be developed because of the disincentive under this. And then I think there are real questions about the timeliness of access to breakthrough new drugs, because this is basically the model that we have in the Veterans, Veterans Health Administration, in the VA, and uh, they have a restrictive formulary, and if you don't make a drug available at their price, it's not available in the program. And, and uh, you know, I think that what you're going to start to see, and they've got some provisions in the bill that are intended to prevent this, but I'm not sure at the end of the day you, the government actually can prevent this. Uh, I think what you're going to see, if there is a major blockbuster breakthrough new drug that everyone's going to want and everyone's going to be willing to pay for, the company's going to say, you know what, we're not going to sell it into Medicare because if we do, the government's going to set the price and we're going to lose a fortune. We're going to make we're going to make everyone seniors all pay out of pocket if they want it. And if yeah. it's a breakthrough drug that people need, that it, you know they're going to end up spending more because they're going to have this two thousand dollar out of out of pocket cap that's in this bill on their Medicare drug expenditures. But there might be an important drug they need that won't be available in Medicare because of this, uh, you know, because of they they've now got a. Yeah, they because of this process they've set up. There's now a disincentive. It's always been the case that you want every drug to be available in Medicare because that's where you make so many sales as a drug company. But if they uh, alter that calculation, I think that they're going to restrict access, and it's going to look like the VA or look like a lot of other countries' programs where, when there is a major new drug, they don't get it right away. It takes yeah. a few years before it's available. Yeah. And, you know, um, a lot of people, because the Democrats are very well at selling this idea that um, companies are in it for greed and that, you know, we forget the companies are in it for profit for their shareholders, which many times is us. OK, we have retirement funds, whatever we invest in these companies. They also employ us. So if they're not going to make money, they're not going to do it. 
Um, so, I, you know, I really do hope that we can kind of change some some thinking about this. Um, where do you think this is going to go? The Democrats control the House. They control the Senate. Do you think this is going to fly? Is it going to pass? You know, um, it looked like it was on track to pass when they were doing the smaller bill that was just the uh, – drug price controls and the Obamacare subsidies. Now they're raising the stakes again. As I mentioned, they've got a deal that's got, you know, business tax hikes, which I think is pretty ill-conceived when we've got two negative quarters of GDP, whether you want to call that a recession or not. They've got uh, all kinds of special giveaways for all kinds of renewable energy and electric vehicles and all of this kind of stuff. Um, so they've got a lot of moving parts right now. We don't know where, we don't know where Senator Cinema is on this uh, yet. Uh, we've got uh, Senator Menendez from New Jersey, which is where most of the big pharmaceutical companies are located, and he's kind of saying, you know, I agreed to raid the pharmaceutical companies because you were giving me alternative minimum tax relief for all my high-income taxpayers in New Jersey. Well, that's not in this version of the bill anymore, so maybe he'll, he'll maybe he won't agree to it. You know, my my uh, big concern is at the end of the day, you know, the Democrats are pretty good at all lining up and and pulling oh, yeah. in the same direction and. Uh, you know, if they do, Republicans can't stop them. They've got the House, they've got the Senate, they've got the White House. Uh, but, you know, they have an exact tie in the Senate. They need to get all 50. I think they can lose three House members, maybe four, and that's it. And so, you know, they've got a tightrope walk to get this passed. I think they probably will, but we've got to at least help people understand what's happening so that there can be some political accountability attached to it if they insist on passing this. Yeah. And, you know, what puzzles me is because, you know, Manchin is really big on inflation. These people all see the polls. The Republicans are going to fight it. The Democrats are going to fight it. But the, so the way to solve inflation is more supply. <laughs> and, and Right. This, right. This, this is, is the thing. Be... It's so crazy about what they're doing. Right. You know, the, the problem Inflation is caused by having too much money chasing too few goods and services. So what are they doing? Okay, they're creating more money through spending. It's going to be financed by Federal Reserve money creation. And they're restricting the supply of goods and services <laughs> with things like price controls and business yeah. taxes, all of this. So all of this pushes in the wrong direction. It's yeah. actually going to lead to more inflation, not less. And, uh, you know, it's really Orwellian that they're calling this the Inflation Reduction Act. It's just it's shockingly brazen. Yeah. And let's face it, this is going to lead to a shortage of drugs, period. And, you know, that's going to, in a way, who knows? I mean, there, I don't know what goes on in other countries where you can't get access to drugs because the government pays for them and has caps on them. But, I mean, you think that there could even be sort of a black market for drugs that are people, you know, it's just going to be tough. There just isn't going to be a lot out there. So all, all not good. Um, what do you think? Can the Republicans fight this? I mean, is there a message that they can use out on their, you know, as they're seeking reelection um, that they can use that will fight this? Uh, I really hope so. I mean, I, you know, here's the thing. Everyone knows that. Democrats know it. Republicans know it. The number one problem the country faces right now is inflation. People are just getting hammered by rising prices. And the Democrats' uh, solution is a political solution for themselves. It's to pass the same tax and spending programs they already wanted and just slap a label on it that says inflation reduction, and they think the American people will, will fall for that. Uh, the Republicans have a, a really good opportunity, and you know I think they can explain that it's Democratic policies that have caused the situation that we're in, and that doing more of the same will only make it worse, no matter what label you slap on it. And so I, I do think they've got a good opportunity. Of course, you know the media is largely on the Democrats' 
side. And so, you know, they've got that challenge to overcome. But, you know, most people kind of get that. And I, you know, I think that this is not going to help the Democrats politically, and they're already in a tough spot. And I think that, you know, Republicans just need to, you know, keep pointing out the obvious. You know, Republicans have the advantage in this political debate of being right. Now, that doesn't always win in politics, <laughs> but it helps. Yeah. But it yeah. helps. I mean, what about the argument that, and you, I think you stated this in your article, that this happened back in 2010. You're robbing, Obama, you're robbing Medicare, something we're entitled to that we paid into, to pay for Obamacare. You think that could fly? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that that's the, I think it's a very simple, powerful message to say they're slashing Medicare prescription drug spending, taking that money out of the Medicare program to pay for Obamacare subsidies and other unrelated spending. That's a winning political message. That said, you know, PolitiFact has already called it false that I said that. It's obviously (laughs) true, you know, so, but they call it false and, uh, you know, they will have, uh, you know, they will act outraged that anyone could suggest that they're you know, quote unquote negotiation, quote unquote drug pricing reform is taking money out of Medicare, except, I mean, that's like literally how their bill works is that's used as the pay for for this other spending. I mean, they take the money out and spend it on other things. And so, uh, you know, they will get, they will act offended and outraged and deny, and they'll have the media helping them and the fake fact checkers. But I think they had all that in 2010 also. Yeah. And people, and it didn't help them, you know? So I, I do think that uh, the simple fact that they're using Medicare as a piggy bank again um, is a pretty simple thing to explain in the campaign context. Yeah, and I, and I want to talk a minute about these Obamacare subsidies. So in, we enhance them under the pandemic. People that make huge, you know, pretty substantial household income can qualify for a subsidy. Um, And then, of course, you know, these are supposed to end. This was originally going to keep these things going, at least beyond the election. I mean, can you talk a little bit about why we need to subsidize something? Um, Is it just not attractive? I mean, could they sell these plans on their own without those subsidies? Well, um, people are mandated to buy them. (laughs) Well, that's that's true. Why they you know, that that's why they have large, although, I mean, the mandate was essentially gutted by the Republican Congress. There's now no penalty associated with the mandate. So it's not it, it's sort of a notional mandate. But, um, you know, there really aren't a lot of other choices uh, because of the way they've regulated health insurance. And so you might be able to get a short term plan or something like that. But for them, for, for many people, uh, if you don't have an employer plan, really, the Obamacare plans are the only option that's available to you. And uh, if you qualify for the subsidies, then the taxpayers pick up most of the cost. Uh, if you don't qualify for the subsidies, you get exposed to the whole thing. But I just think it's really astonishing the last couple of years that the insurance companies have totally escaped scrutiny because um, you know healthcare utilization really collapsed during the pandemic. People didn't want to go to the doctor. They didn't want to go to the hospital. Claims went down dramatically. I mean, we had, we still to this day have not had a single month of hospital utilization that reached 2019 levels uh, since the pandemic started. So and we're still, you know, the, the collapse in non-COVID utilization uh, was always greater than the increase from COVID. And of course, now that COVID has uh, dramatically subsided as a cause for hospitalization, uh, we're, we're just not using the health system that, and, and, and that has negative consequences. A lot of people have died because they haven't sought oh, yeah. health care when they needed it from, from stroke and heart attack. And you know, I'm still worried we're going to see a big wave of cancers that weren't detected because people weren't going to the doctor, weren't going to the hospital. And so, um, but, but the one thing that should have happened 
from that is premiums should have gone down dramatically, right? Because yeah. they weren't paying out claims. Well, they did and for autos, happen. right? <laughs> they did for yeah, auto I mean, insurance. <laughs> maybe, maybe someplace mine didn't go down. I don't know about that. Uh, but, you know, they, they really didn't go down um, for the most part. Uh, they stayed about level. Some people even saw increases the last couple of years. And now what are the health insurance companies doing? They're saying, hey, People are starting to come back and use healthcare again as we come out of the pandemic. So we have to raise premiums. Yeah. And it's like, well, wait a second. They're, <laughs> they're coming back to normal. They're not going, it's not like they're rising you know, to some never before seen level. In fact, they haven't even reached normal yet. And yet they're all, all filing these huge rate increases. And they're saying, hey, you know, utilization's increasing as people come back after the pandemic. And it's like, well, this is ridiculous. They should have gone down. And maybe they should go up a little bit, but they still should be lower than they were a couple of years ago. Instead, uh, they they're filing these huge increases, and they're going to the you know they're going to the politicians and saying, "Hey, you need to extend supersized subsidies so that people are not exposed to the increases that we're filing. You need to shift them to taxpayers uh, so that we can conceal them, and then you won't have a political consequence." And uh, then the politicians are going along with it. I just find it unbelievable. I mean, I think the Insurance companies are getting away with murder, essentially, uh, you know, with what they've done the last couple of years, not cutting premiums and now with the big increases yeah. they're filing. Uh, but it's, you know, that's the incentive. If the vast majority of people are subsidized and taxpayers pick up the cost and no matter how much you increase it, your customers don't actually pay that increase, yeah. they're going to keep increasing them every year forever. And yeah, that's and the incentive. That's what it, subsidies do. They, they can't sell these things on value because the premiums are awful. The deductibles and co-pays are awful. you got to pay a fortune to be able to use it. And then the networks are like squeezed to nothing. And then you get the problem with, with surprise bills and all kinds of weird payment schemes at hospitals that confuse the heck out of the public. I mean, it's just a mess. We have no customization in insurance. Everyone has this one size fits all plan. And that's why they got to force it down our throats and then help us pay for it. And then, you know, the ones who like the insurance companies, they're taken care of and everybody else, but we're sort of left in the dust. Um, you know, I, and, and then the short-term plans, <laughs> the, the Congress wants to get rid of the short-term plans. That was like our really only choice in association plans, but you know, they're, they're trying to get rid of those things too. I digress. Um, what about, you know, I do want to ask you about these biologics because, you know, they're like the cutting edge drugs. They're very pricey. They get a lot of attention. But um, I mean, could Congress, th those are, you know, supposedly tomorrow's future drugs and they're really tough. Do you know anything about the biosimilar market? Do you think Congress is doing enough to enhance, to uh, promote that? Um, you know, because they're like generics, generics, most, you know, most people, most of the drugs that people buy are generics and they've saved people a bundle of money. Um, but what about these biosimilars? I mean, we haven't just seen a lot of a big frothy market on these things. Do you know anything about that? And do you think this bill has anything that could even make that worse? Well, they actually, they, they, you know, the good news and the bad news is that they carve out biotech drugs essentially from, you know, the provisions in the in this bill. So, you know, if you think as I do that these provisions are mostly bad, then that's probably a good thing for those drugs. If you're, you know, sort of a liberal, then you probably think it's a bad thing. Um, it's a tricky area because it, they're very different from small molecule drugs in the way they're developed, the way they're produced, and the way they function. And, you know, they're essentially living entities, and, and uh, the manufacturing methods are uh, 
not interchangeable and the products are, you know, there's a reason it's not called a generic. It's called a biosimilar. It's never going to be exactly the same. With a small molecule drug, it's literally the exact same drug. You get a generic. I mean, there might be different binders or something like that, but the active ingredient is literally identical with, with the generics for small molecule drugs. Uh, with biotech drugs, they're never going to quite be identical uh, just because they've got all kinds of different the processes and they've got their, their, uh, and so there's this question of, you know, how much, uh, you know, how much new research, uh, how much new data do you need uh, to prove that the drug is, uh, functions the same way and that it can access kind of the clinical data behind the, uh, the original innovator drug, uh, you know, to be put on the market. And they have, they have created a pipeline for them. Uh, I don't think they're, I don't think we've seen a lot of them yet. Uh, so it's a, it's a challenging issue because from an economic standpoint, of course, We'd love for it to be exactly the same as the small molecule drugs. You know, you hit the end of your exclusivity, it comes out, prices plummet, everyone can get the generic. Uh, but the science guys say it's not that simple, and that's where it yeah. gets a little outside my area to, to totally understand. Yeah. Well, again, um, the, the free market is always, it always comes down to the free market, giving people more choice. Not all drugs work for everybody, and that's why you got to meet let them to be available abundantly and make them accessible to a lot of people. And so, you know, when you've got Congress doing stuff like this, trying to control the prices and take the market out of the picture altogether, it's just, um, you know, ready for disaster. Well, thanks, Phil, uh, for coming on the podcast. We'll be watching Congress closely, I guess, to see what happens from here and, and how this may play out in the midterm elections. All right. Thanks for having me. All right. Phil, Phil Kirpin is the president of American Commitment, and you have an article on this, and we're going to post that link to our podcast notes. And, um, you know, you got a terrific, I should mention this, you guys have a terrific website for people who really want to get informed what's going on in Capitol Hill. It's well laid out, and you're just on top of everything. So I'd encourage our listeners to check that out as well. All right. Well, thank you, listeners, for tuning into the podcast. If you liked what you heard, copy the link, send it to others. It is important that we stay on top of challenges to the free market. And the Heartland Daily podcast is a great way to do that. Thanks for joining us. This is Anne-Marie Schieber. 